Welcome back to another Riddles in the Dark episode. Um, we're doing this at a slightly unusual time. It's actually a Monday night at 11.30 Eastern Time. We've sprung this completely as a surprise on the, on the Tolkien Professor fans on the Facebook page, and somehow we still managed to get uh, a, a huge number of people, although an entirely different cross-section of the fandom than we usually get on Tuesday mornings at 10 o'clock Eastern Time. Um, so uh, we're doing this because uh, Corey's about to go on a huge trip. I'm going to a conference. There's just chaos in our lives. We knew this is going to be our last chance, or else you guys would be going weeks and weeks without episodes, since it, since it seems as though I'm apparently in no hurry to finish editing the previous ones. Um, <laughs> wasn't going to mention that, but you know. <laughs> yes. So, so here we go. Uh, on this week's episode, we are going to be talking um, about um, uh, talking animals, which I'm sure will inundate the films. I think Trish, Trish has already dubbed this epo- episode "Wargs and Eagles and Bears." Oh my! So yes, yes, yes. Fitting enough. Um, yeah, and I would just like to uh, again uh, both. Uh, both uh, commend and thank the faithful people who have joined us semi-spontaneously here uh, in the middle of the night, uh, uh, East Coast time. Um, uh, I know that some of you are not East Coast time, and so it's a little bit more convenient for you than it is for the rest of us. But no, this is excellent. I mean, we have we have 17 people who have uh, shown up live with like an hour's warning uh, in the middle of the night. So that is that is pretty awesome. Uh, so thanks for joining us, and uh, we look forward to talking about this. We've what we've been. Well, I should I should mention actually that the place that I am going tomorrow is pretty exciting. Um, the reason that we're not able to do it at our normal time because I am headed over to England for the Tolkien Society's Return of the Ring conference. It is uh, probably the biggest Tolkien conference, you know, event uh, of the year this year. Uh, it is very exciting. I am looking forward to being there. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, there will be lots of, I hope to do, uh, to do at least one uh, live uh, sort of Q&A session, sort of a, a live from, uh, from, the return of the ring uh q and a session or something uh you know maybe with some some guests from the conference so we'll see if we can get that together sometime uh, i think possibly saturday uh of uh, of this week uh, looks based on the schedule for the conference looks like a day in which i might be able to do that um but anyway so i'm i'm i am i am excitedly uh heading over for a long weekend of uh of of Tolkien activities uh which will be great fun um and uh but anyway as i said so thanks for joining us those of you who can now today's episode um what we've been talking about we've been in the midst of a sequence of of kind of you know it, it it's sort of you know proceeding through the plot of the you know of the first half of the hobbit but it's not just the plot itself the sort of the focus all the way through this series of riddles in the dark episodes has been bilbo's character development and where um where we see his character, um, you know, being developed and moving along in the books, and then in particular, of course, how that kind of thing might translate. Um, wow, are we going to find a way to connect uh, this week's episode to that somehow? That would well, be quite I mean, a feat. I am interested. 
that well, I mean, I it's I'm certainly going to be interested to be talking about that because I do think that this is this you know these these scenes the scenes with uh, his being treed by the wargs and his being carried off by the eagles um, occupy a sort of an, a really interesting transitional place in Bilbo's development here because what we see and this I think is is one of the things that's really fascinating about Tolkien's depiction of Bilbo's character in the book is that you know he doesn't. He doesn't undergo sudden changes like it's you know the story that you that that one might sort of expect to find with Bilbo's character isn't really the one that actually happens you know this is not really like you know he turns into adventurer and soon is like you know a hardened pro um he's not he's had his big turning point he's had you know that that the the finding of the ring the escape from gollum the getting out of the misty mountains completely by himself um is is like that was a huge deal you know that was that was that was the moment that he officially you know earned his like adventurers uh you know membership card but um, at that point, he's still, he's still, not only is he nowhere near done, um, outwardly, he's actually very little changed. And this is the thing that I think is so interesting, is that it's still going to be a long time. Bilbo will eventually, in this story, kind of jump in and become the real leader of their expedition, as the narrator will say. You know, he will be, he will be, you know, pulling the, 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 the dwarves' bacon out of the fire again and again. Uh, to misapply the metaphor that's used in <clears throat> this chapter in The Hobbit. But anyway, he's going to be doing that again and again. He's going to be the one who's constantly saving them, but it's but we're still a long ways from that. And after this turning point, when you know he has just been reintroduced to the dwarves in that scene, which is so important in the book, but which we talked about last time, that they're almost certainly, I think, going to change in the film. Um, that is the scene where he sort of sneaks in and they have a new respect for him and, and realize that he is a, a, a you know, potentially anyway a first class burglar after all and there's that elaborate scene where he and Balin reintroduce themselves to each other and, and have that formal greeting as if they're now meeting again for the first time um, so you know we have that moment which seems to indicate ah now he and the dwarves are starting off on a fresh footing you know this is this is now uh, the new Bilbo except new Bilbo looks just like the old Bilbo I mean the, the new Bilbo is do, throughout this doing nothing but complaining about how hungry he is and um like and being completely helpless, like having to be carried around and hoisted up trees, and um, and then complaining more about how hungry he is. Um, he just he still doesn't do anything. But um, but let's 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 not let you know all this wonderful deep character development get in the way of talking about talking singing animals too. <laughs> no, no, we won't. We won't. We won't. We're transitioning into the talking singing animals uh, because, of course. Uh, Along the way, you know, we since we had gotten to this place, we did want to, we do want to talk about the talking, singing animals, um, uh, because that is that does raise some some very specific issues with the films. I think both thinking back to um, to the that is the relationship between the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings films, but also, I mean, I think it, it really it raises some questions, which are questions which have been I think some of the most fundamental, even kind of preliminary questions that people have always had about the Hobbit film, namely, like, what is its tone going to be? And how persistent is that tone going to be? Um, is it going to reflect the lighthearted, uh, you know, sort of co- often comical tone 
of the book. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to say like, okay, we're still going to get, you know, we're still going to get fat bomber and, you know, some like dwarven buffoonery and that's going to be funny, you know, so there's going to be, and Bilbo will still be a source of humor on, uh, you know, on, on, on many occasions. So yeah, okay. So there you go. That's that's what's going to happen. That's how we're going to get that you know sort of preserve some of that same tone. And we're still going to apparently, I mean, it looks like we're going to get some version of the dwarven scene in the kitchen, right, where the dwarves are throwing the plates around and everything. Um, that you know that there was a bit of that in the trailer, wasn't there? Yes. If I'm remembering that correctly, I re- so I so recall again, so that. We, yeah. So we so we can see. All right. So there's um. Uh, there's uh there's there's definitely some some attempts and you know it, peter jackson and the actors have said several times that you know it's designed to be funny and you know it does try to preserve that that lighthearted tone um i know the question uh, is i know how I'm, far is it going to go I, I am most interested to watch some giant misshapen hyena monsters uh singing songs about uh, dwarves and whatnot Right. See, now you're thinking because, about the wargs as they that's were represented what are, in the right? two towers. Yeah, right. giant hyena animals. That's what wargs are, right? Right. Well, exactly. See, and this is where, um, this is what's going to be really interesting because they have, there are two things in the background that really change that 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 have and. By the background, I mean the Lord of the Rings films, right? Things that people will remember. We've seen wolf riders, right? We have, as you as you say, we've seen wargs. We've seen wargs in that, you know, in that scene with the Rohirrim, with the, we, you know, with the the goblin orc riders that go out from uh, Isengard after the Rohirrim. So theoretically, we already know what they look like, and as you pointed out, they look like hyenas and not like wolves. Um, and they're certainly not very articulate, and it's hard to imagine them having a conversation or indeed even really like a chief in the same way that they seem to have in the book. I would also point out we've seen eagles, um, and you know we've seen lots of swooping uh, uh, rescuing eagles at various points in the Lord of the Rings films, but what we have not seen is them talk. And uh, it's it is to me an interesting question: Are we going to see any conversations uh, with the eagles? Um, uh, will the eagles ever speak? Because that's gonna that's gonna change. That's gonna be jarring because the eagles have been on screen so often, and we've heard them, you know, make an eagle cry. You know, like the, we've we've heard them vocalize, but we certainly have not heard them talk. So. I think now uh, Stephen asks, you know, makes a really interesting point about about um, uh, Roark the the Raven, um, uh, and uh, uh, who who speaks common and the thrush who obviously doesn't. Now, of course, both Roark and the the thrush are firmly in film two or three material, um, so we're not going to talk about those in too much detail because we are trying to pace ourselves right however come on steven you know, 
<laughs> but 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 Stephen raises a good point. That is, we have uh, we have an emphatically talking bird later on. But see, Stephen, the what the main thing I would say about that, not to get into Roach too much uh, yet, but I would say it's in a totally different situation because we don't have that preconceived idea. Like, okay, we saw Crabine from Dunland flying around, but that didn't really mean anything to us, um, and it's not going to be shocking to see to actually. You know, meet a bird that speaks because it's going to be a different species. It's going it, 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 to it's it's going to be um, it's going to be looking different. The eagles you're talking about reintroducing essentially uh, you know what at least to all appearances is going to look like a familiar character from the Lord of the Rings, and now making it talk for the first time. So I, I, that's going to be um, that's going to be to me um, pretty. Uh, a, a, a pretty big shift. Now, Matthew points out that they do show Gandalf talking with the moth at the top of Isengard, right? So it's possible Gandalf could converse with eagles, but not in a way that the audience could understand, and he'll have to translate for his companions. Matthew, that seems to me pretty likely. Um, I, it's, it's hard for me to imagine that they're going to actually make the eagles speak in the common tongue. That, I just think, would be too much of a shift. And, of course, and I can't remember who it was that brought this up last time when this came up. Um, Brandon, was it you? I'm not sure. I can't remember. Um, but basically, the issue of it's going to look really Narnia if you've got animals that speak all of a sudden. And and to be frank, this is a big issue. It's a big issue in The Hobbit as a whole because we're not just talking about eagles. Um, there, are talking, there are a lot of talking animals in this book. Um, the, the spiders speak the common speech too, um, and the fact that they are being overheard now that's a little bit easier for me to see them just cutting out entirely. Um, you know that we're not going to get the the sort of funny dialogue among the spiders. If uh, we're not getting the dialogue among the spiders, will we get Bilbo shouting Addercop? Stole that uh, from Venarin Green, by the way. From Venarin, yeah, yes. I, I you know. Oh, but boy, will I be disappointed if the word Adderkop is never uttered. Uh, so, um, yeah. on your on your note, I I I see what you're saying about the shift. I don't I don't think it really matters. I, I think I think um, I think the talking animals are are just too intrinsic to the to the nature and feel of the uh, of the Hobbit, and that people will be looking forward to that. And uh, and and I and I think. I think people will have short memories and they won't care that the previous that the you know the eagles in the Lord of the Rings films didn't really have an opportunity to talk and they can easily explain the talking wolves by just um essentially calling you know just making them look different and behave differently and just sort of think you know pitching them as separate separate breed of wolves um I I think it's pretty easy to make them talk if they wanted to well, I mean, okay. I think they could. I don't think they will. I mean, I oh, would fine. I would this isn't this is an artificial prediction, of course, for this episode, but uh but here's a free You're prediction going on the record. I'm going on the record. The eagles aren't going to talk. The wolves aren't going to talk. The spiders aren't going to talk. I think they're going to minimize uh animal speech. I do expect the raven to talk. Um Roak, I believe will be will appear and will talk. Um, and we will get 
some kind of like thrush language thing, though how they're going to do the thrush's message to Bard, I'm not quite sure. But again, that's later on. I'm not going to worry about that too much right now. Um, but uh, but I mean, if I if I had to go on the record right now, if somebody were forcing me, which nobody is, so I don't know why I'm doing it. But if someone were going to force me to predict. Uh, how many total talking animals will appear in all three Hobbit films combined? Uh, I would say one. Roach the Raven. That would be very disappointing. That is my. That is my. <laughs> Bernard is suggesting we get subtitles for the animals. That would be awesome. Uh, you know, they they could do the bard thing that way, though. How anticlimactic would that be? You know, like that, like in the pivotal moment right before Smaug is killed to have the thrust just being like (laughs) with subtitles (laughs) boy that could be that could that could really uh, uh, that could that could really be that could really undermine the drama of the moment couldn't it but anyway anyway I I, I am here I am like continually adverting uh, back to the to the to the to the thrush and the raven um that are not even but in now, the, the first thing film. to keep in mind. Come on, man. Yeah, exactly. No, discipline. Yeah. Okay, first film. The discipline. So here it is. Um, I I think that with the wargs, the thing to keep in mind, the wargs don't talk in the book. They don't speak in the common language, which is really interesting because the spiders do. It's it's something that Tolkien did consistently throughout The Hobbit, and it's it's one of the things that's it's very interesting because it's it's one of the ways in which Tolkien this might be too strong a way to put it, but actually like breaks his own habits, you know, goes against his own sort of person personal and private, you know, pleasures and enjoyments in not inventing languages or at least explaining linguistic connections and things and having a simple like suspension of disbelief uh, situation with the spiders in particular. There is no excuse for the spiders to be speaking in the common tongue, at least when uh, when the orcs in the two towers are speaking in the common tongue. And so Mary and Pippin can understand them when they're when they're overhearing that there's an explanation that's given in the book. Like, they have to speak in the common tongue because they speak different dialects and can't understand each other's orc speech, and so they all, they, but they all can speak uh, some version of the common tongue, so they speak that in order to be able to communicate with each other. And we see them lapsing into their orc dialect when they're talking um, within their own internal group groups. Um, like when the ones that that are the the ones who are not the Urukai, who are complaining about Ugluk behind his back at the very beginning, that is before Ugluk lops their heads off, um, mm-hmm. they, they they lapse into their own Orcish dialect and speak with and speak you know and we get like a full line of transcribed Orcish language um, before Ugluk comes in and they all start speaking common again. So again, we're, we're given internally within that story. A, a a a plausible explanation for why on earth these people these these characters would be speaking in the in the common tongue that the hobbits could understand. There is no excuse given, no attempt at an excuse given as to why these spiders amongst are speaking amongst themselves. Um, the the common speech that they would have a language isn't surprising. That they would speak in common is utterly inexplicable. Um, but again, interestingly, the wargs don't. The wargs um, are—they don't—they don't speak in the common language. They are speaking to each other. They're given a language. They're not simply bestial. They have an intelligence, um, 
and and sort of have like the ability to plan and stuff um and seem to have some kind of uh uh some kind of you know hierarchy and 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 whatever right um, but i mean their 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 language is described as growling and yelping um but uh you know but uh, but bilbo can't um um can't understand it um and so he has no idea what they're talking about um anyway uh um yeah and that's and that's you know that's repeated several times um the fact that bilbo can't understand them that is um hmm yeah here here's the description of the language i said this is one of them those moments where you can see tolkien like briefly um briefly very briefly kind of indulging his own interest in linguistics and stuff um uh let's see uh so they they it's, they, it's right when they uh, in my edition in the trade paperback the Houghton Mifflin trade paperback uh page 93 um in chapter 6 of course out of the frying pan into the fire um after right after the wargs have sniffed out all the trees that have dwarves uh and or hobbit and wizard in them um it says these they guarded too while all the rest hundreds and hundreds it seemed went and sat in a great circle in the glade and in the middle of the circle was a great gray wolf he spoke to them in the dreadful language of the wargs Gandalf understood it. Bilbo did not, but it sounded terrible to him, and as if all their talk was about cruel and wicked things, as it was. Um, so I get that the fact that their language itself sounds like it is like that, like they are talking about cruel and wicked things, um, because their 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 sound their language like phonetically reflects the wickedness that they are speaking, uh, and that they habitually speak about in their language. Um, and then again, right at the very beginning of the next paragraph, I will tell you what Gandalf heard, though Bilbo did not understand it. Again, we have it emphasized that Bilbo didn't understand it. And so we only get a paraphrase. We don't get, because this is Bilbo's, you know, sort of derived from Bilbo's diary, so we never get dialogue from the wargs because he doesn't understand it. He just gets the gist of it from Gandalf later on. Um, and so we get we get several paragraphs, a paraphrase of what they're discussing. Um but again, the thing that we do get, though we don't get speech, though we don't get dialogue, what we do get is them acting very, you know, civilizedly in a sense. Um, that is, we certainly organizedly, we have them sitting around in a circle, uh, you know, forming a great circle with their chief, um, sort of in the middle, and apparently like orating. Right? I mean, he's like walking up and down and speaking, addressing all of the rest of the gathered wolves in their language. Um, so he's, I don't know, he's having like a Theoden moment, right? You know, where he's addressing the uh, the the troops right before battle. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, death! I don't know, maybe that's what he's saying. But, um, a red uh, day. So, <laughs> or I guess yeah. a red night. I guess it kind of was a red night out once they set all those yeah. trees on fire. Right. Exactly. Well, of course, that wasn't their idea. But yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> the day may come when the wolves shall fail, but it is not this day. Anyway, uh, I don't know what he's saying. So we, 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 don't, we don't get direct dialogue from, from the wargs. But again, thinking about this now for the film, you know, how do they treat that? Do they, do they represent the wargs? Uh, you know, in that way, and again, I don't, I don't, I don't think they do. I, I, I am hopeful based upon that one image of a wolf that we get 
um, in that big scroll image that we looked at a few weeks back. Um, we did see a wolf uh, next to the burning tree uh, in that scroll, and I think it didn't look like a hyena to me. It looked much more like a wolf than a hyena. So hopefully this is, they're going to play the, like, it's a different species card. Like they'd have the different, they're radically different appearing species of, of orc. I hope so. Um, if the, if those things from the two towers um, never show up ever again on screen, it will be too soon. Mm-hmm. They were pretty ugly. And, um, and yeah, so I think uh, uh, that you know these definitely looked more wolfish. But in fact, see, that's one of the other things; they looked more wolfish. They looked more like animals. The others were more monstrous. You know, they were more. Um, I mean, I think they looked more like hyenas because they didn't want to just appear like regular wolves. But these do appear like regular wolves, and especially it's wolves. I mean, I'm sorry, like back to the Narnia thing, we had talking wolves in Narnia. Like a pack of talking wolves were some of the chief antagonists in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe film. I mean, as they were in the book, but uh, but even more prominently in the film. So we have this, this very, uh, very clear, and I, I would suspect still, even after some time, quite present, um, visual image um, that I think is going to be an association that they would have a hard time knocking. I don't think we're going to get it. Um, and I and it looks like, based purely upon appearances, it looks like they're going to represent them as being more more animal, less um, you know, l- less sentient. I don't know, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, oh, uh, Van Ern is asking, uh, where is the scroll? We, we put up a link to that, didn't we, on the Riddles in the Dark page? The link to the scroll? To the scroll, didn't we? Uh, we talked about it a couple weeks back. I could have sworn we did. I think uh, we did. So, yeah, Van Ern, if you go back to... Uh, to I'm going to go look uh, for it, and and if I can find it, I will... Uh, I'll uh, put it on. Uh, I'll, I'll send it as a as an answer to uh, to Van- yeah. Bannerin. Yeah, there we go. That's good. Um, yeah. So, um, oh, you know, Larry, that's a great idea. Larry says, <clears throat> "Make the wargs like the wolf from the Neverending Story, and you can't fail." Totally agree. That wolf was completely terrifying. Uh, I, I had nightmares as a child about that thing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Um, except, so, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, All right, yeah, here Stephen, we go. I found it. The link to the movie scroll. It? Woohoo! There here it go, comes, Veneran. Excellent. Uh, type answer says, here. And I think very plausibly. Um, I'd be willing to bet that the war- that the wargs just stop and tree them, and the goblins catch up so quickly that there isn't time for wolf moot. Uh, it also makes more sense in a film sense since we move things along quicker that way. Y- you know, Stephen, I agree. I I do suspect that that's what we're going to see. I don't think we're going to get a whole lot of time. Um, it is. I mean, there's definitely something lost there. I mean, there is definitely something lost with the. Um, if they basically downplay the, so that the wolves look 
normal. I mean, they could they could they could easily have you know some kind of dialogue, say, between Gandalf and Bilbo, or Gandalf and one of the dwarves, or something, when they're like, "There are wolves after us," and be like, "Those are no ordinary wolves," or whatever. I mean, they could try to establish in the minds of the audience um, that these wolves are you know much more intelligent and work together with the goblins. Um, and then, of course, the goblins show up right afterwards, can totally see that. Um, but, uh, uh, but anyway, I, 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 but I do think that something will be lost. And I think that something will be lost from, like, for instance, one thing that I think might be lost is the enumeration at the Battle of Five Armies. Um, because, of course, the wargs and the goblins are two of the five armies in question. Um, but if the wolves just appear to be like animal sidekicks of the goblins, um, it's going to be hard to make them appear as uh, as like kind of an equal uh, combatants there. You may... But anyway, uh, whatever. Um, I think that they... So as I say, I, I, I would be afraid that something would be lost there, but I would suspect that. Now, of course, we have to think about... Um, uh, and this is, to me, another big question—a big question in the sense that it relates to the overall choices that they are going to be making, or indeed at this point have made, about um, the tone of the film as a whole. Um, because see, that moment—and this is something that Tolkien does so delicately—and it's—I I am just kind of in amazement uh, so many times throughout the book at how well Tolkien balances comedy and drama, you know, how he can make a scene funny. Like, you can be laughing at the antagonists. You can be laughing at the, the, the monsters without reducing the fact that it's that it's really a dramatic scene. The spiders are a really good example of this, and we'll talk about the spiders more. The spiders obviously deserve an, deserve an episode of their own. Um, but, uh, and we'll get to that. But the... Um, but the the wargs are another good example. You know, the wargs, you know, have them trapped, and they're going to hold them there until the goblins show up. This is obviously a very serious situation. They are in very serious danger. We're told the narrator tells us how scared Gandalf, wizard though he is, is getting um, at overhearing what they're saying. But nevertheless, we get comedy. Gandalf then starts setting pine cones on fire and and throwing down the burning pine cones, which catch the wolves on fire and in like multicolored fire. He's making like blue and green flames and stuff, and the dwarves are all cheering as the uh, the wolves are running around and uh, and you know sort of like trying to stamp out the fire, but it's very uncanny fire and won't be won't be stamped out. I mean. That moment again. It's not totally. Um, it's not totally uh, 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 slapstick in that moment, but it is comical, and the, <laughs> the, the wargs are made to look silly. Um, you know, like the 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 biggest stroke in that little like mini battle between Gandalf and the wargs is when the is when the chief wolf gets a pine cone that hits him in the nose and his nose is rather badly singed. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's not high drama at that point. And now again, Tolkien does this without, I think, really taking away from the tension of that moment. I mean, it still is scary, but 
it's 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 one of the things that he does so consistently throughout the book um that to sort of keep it it's it's the way in which i think that he most sensitively takes into account the juvenile audience that he intends it for he doesn't do this by dumbing it down he doesn't do this by um by making it less scary you know that is like by making sure that nothing bad happens uh you know or, or like keeping the monsters out of it um he puts the monsters in and and he he puts these really very serious situations in and then later on in the book increasingly more real suffering and tragedy but but he does use comedy uh to basically kind of diffuse slightly just to keep it from being absolutely terrified uh, as terrified as I was of that wolf in the never ending story. And I see that Jesse shared my opinion that Gamork ruined his childhood. He says, <laughs> wasn't quite so bad for me. I got over it, but, uh, um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. So I, I, I it's, it, it, you know, it, that's Tolkien never allows things just to get overwhelming. I think. And he gives um, he gives kids kind of a lifeline, I think, through comedy, but again, without simply derailing, without simply um, taking apart the dramatic tension, um, you know, and the the sort of the fear of those moments. But again, in the film, are they going to mingle that kind of you know buffoonery with? Um, with dramatic moments. Now, we have some precedent for that kind of thing, it, it's, like Gimli at Helm's Deep. It is kind of hard to... Yeah, actually, that's a good point. I was going to say, it's really hard to imagine them pulling this off on screen, like, you know, terrifying wolves and then, you know, pine cones bouncing off their noses. It yeah. might, might, yeah, I don't know, may not mix well. But, yeah, the Gimli, the Gimli stuff in The Lord of the Rings, you're right, it did mix in there. I mean, I detested it, but... Yeah, yeah, I know, and it's but less but, less know, because it didn't fit, and more because it turned Gimli into an oaf, and he's not right. an oaf. Gimli is awesome. Right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, exactly, exactly. I, I do think that they, yeah, I mean, there 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 are things that they have done. There are things that they could do. They can still make the dwarves be kind of acting like you know somewhat comical in this but see what they but the whole bouncing the pine cone off the chief off the chief wolf's nose that's exactly the kind of comedy that i don't think they can do if they make the dramatic action itself the conflict and the beginning of the fire for crying out loud if they make that um funny then you know i think it seems to me in the film medium that's going to have a much clumsier impact on audience reception than it has than it can have in the book, um, so I don't see them making that comical in that way. I, I think that the actual conflict of, with the wolves, you know, maybe we'll get some comic relief from you know maybe uh, you know like Bomber will be buffoonish up his tree or you know because that's certainly something they can do is playing the getting up the trees for laughs. Um, as indeed Tolkien does too. I mean, poor Bilbo not being able to reach the bottom branch and running around from the from the trunk of one tree to another, um, you know, jumping and jumping and falling short and trying to get up in the tree. Like that's that's kind of funny too. Um, so I could see that being done for laughs, but um, but the actual, you know, Gandalf using magic to try to fight off the wolves. Hard to see that being treated comically in the film. Um, 
but uh, anyway, so I, you know, I don't, um, um, I'm not sure. I'm not hmm. sure. I, I, I think it's, um, so I get, this is why I say, I, I think it has larger implications for the overall, for the tone, overall tone of the film. Yeah. This is a good, I this is a, I this is a fantastic sort of, straight. this is a fast, fantastic sort of deciding point. You know what I mean? Like if you really think that they're going to play up the humor, then, then this would probably be a good scene to do it and to match the book. And if you really think that they're going to diminish the humor in favor of, you know, drama and action, this scene almost certainly will have some of the, hu- the humor reduced. Um, yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I yeah, I, I, I do think the humor will be reduced. Um, and I certainly don't think that the wargs are going to end up getting played for humor. I, I, I'd be surprised to see it. Um, and, um, yeah, and even even with the... Um, yeah, no, I mean, I just... I, I, I suspect that because we know they're going to be doing at the same time as they are, they say they are anyway, attempting to retain the, the you know, lighthearted spirit of the book, they are also doing an epic film trilogy now. You know, so, yes. so they, they are clearly going to be playing up the high seriousness of various parts of it. Um, and there's plenty of opportunity for comic relief. But again, it's, it's different... Uh, it's a totally different thing to have like Gimli at Helm's Deep where you have um, a moment of high drama which has occasional comic relief inserted into it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like we can still do, you know, the, though I do agree with you about Gimli and I too sort of uh, uh, wept for Gimli's character uh, when I saw the film the first time, mm-hmm. uh, and that's you know it's, it's a very popular complaint, and I think a very fair one. But um, uh, you can still do the like you're going to have to toss me bit, you know, sequence in the middle of Helm's Deep, and not lose uh, the you know sort of the climax the, of the battle, the seriousness it's of fun- the battle, yeah. It's funny when that happens and Aragorn, you know, sort of gives him that look and then tosses him uh, across. But as soon as he does and then jumps over after him, we're back at like high drama and the two of them, you know, defending the gates. Um, so, um, so, but again, that's comic relief. That is that is like a brief moment of the relief of tension in the middle. Of it. It, it is not making the action itself funny, you know, which which again is what. Tolkien actually does do uh, at at a couple different um, places. So, so um, uh, uh, s- s- says that PJ has Peter Jackson has said on several occasions this will be a funny movie. I, I think that is true, um, but uh, but but it's sort of a question of what does that mean exactly? Like, is it going to be funnier? As in, he's gonna he's gonna um, add a few extra jokes. Or is it going right. to be funny in the sense of, um, uh, you know, like uh, Tolkien's type of humor? Right. Yeah. I. I. I and and yeah. You know, and I don't know. I mean, I. I feel like I should even explain further what I mean by that. You know, I mean like the way that he will, um, I, even just in 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 his wording and in the references that he'll make, uh, to, to like lighthearted is the way that I would. 
that I would emphasize it. I mean, uh, when Bilbo throws the first stone at the spider and he falls out of the web, whack, dead. Um, you know, there's 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 a lightheartedness. There's a comedic touch to some of his metaphors and similes as well. Like when he cuts the first dwarf free and he's jerking his arms and legs like like one of those funny toys bobbing on a wire, like one of those wooden toys that bobs its legs up and down when you jiggle it, um, uh, hanging from a wire. Um, that's uh, that's again the, those those moments are moments where he really sort of diffuses things by either saying something in a funny way or 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 bringing in uh, a sort of a lighthearted comparison. Um, but in the film, that's I mean, are, seriously, like Peter Jackson is gonna make the fighters the spider scene funny. Like we're gonna be laughing. While Bilbo throws rocks at the spiders, we are, I mean, I am laughing in the book when that happens, you know, like at, 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 you know, old Tom Noddy, old big body, uh, you know, I, 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 old, old Tom Noddy, all, all big body. I, I just, that's not, it's hard to see that tone. So yeah, I agree. I, I'm not sure. I'm not yet sure what exactly he means by it. Um, when he says it's going to be, it's going to be funnier. Um, because the fact is, at the end of the day, the number one thing people are going to be expecting when they go in to sit down for that film is something in the same register, general register, as the Lord of the Rings. Rings. You know, I mean, they're not going to be like, that was high drama. This is light comedy. That's not what people are expecting. It's not what people are going to go to see. Action, fighting... Um, I don't know what else. All that dramatic action <laughs> stuff. Elf, dwarf, romance. Yes. You know all the things that people go to these movies expecting. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, and Sharon was just pointing about the Bilbo singing when he attacks the spiders as a as a good illustration. Right before I said it, exactly. Um, that's that's yeah. Now again, I don't, we'll, we'll here. I am wandering up to the spiders again when we be saving that for another episode but um but again that it's that again that's the kind of thing that I don't see them doing the fire the setting of the fire and you know the any fighting that they do against the goblins and wargs and the um you know their um the goblins and wargs fighting against them and setting their trees on fire this I don't see being done comically. This is going to be a dramatic moment in the film, and it almost has to be. Um, so, so yeah. So I think it's again, it's hard for me not to see that um, that the that in, at the end of the day, the wargs are going to end up being more beast, less you know, less sentient partners with the dwarves or with the goblins that's going to be that that's going to and i think frankly i think the same of the eagles you know i think the 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 eagles are also going to be i think they're they're going to be more beastified you know that that they're they're going to be basically high functioning animals and not um that that that's what i would expect to see again not that as as so often i don't hope i'm wrong but i do hope i'm wrong but that's what I would pretty well expect. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. And, and you know, as I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, they say there are several people who are accusing me of being, uh, of being too, uh, of being too negative, of being too down. I, I don't. Enough with the snark was, already. Yeah. I, well, see, I don't. I don't actually. To me, this is not. At least, I don't feel pessimistic when I'm saying this. Um, it seems to me like this is these are choices that have to be made in adaptation, and I honestly think it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, it's it's hard for me to see, um, or rather, let me say that the other way around. It is much easier for me to see how you can make your story, you can achieve your storytelling goals as a filmmaker more easily by letting the beasts be more beasts and less Narnian because it's, it's, it's hard to go middle ground. Hmm. Um, I think between those two, between those two things, like having the talking, you know, the, like basically where do you go between, you know, Mr. And Mrs. Beaver in the Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe, you know, Mr. And Mrs. Beaver with her sewing machine, uh, you know, and, and everything else, and Mr. Beaver with his hatchet. And, uh, um, and, 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 and then just, you know, animals as animals, um, even if they're friendly or hostile or whatever. Um, it's hard to do a middle ground. It really is. Um, you know, and you can do, I mean, I think, and basically, again, I think that, you know, my prediction there, my overall prediction about that is just following along with what we saw in The Lord of the Rings. And I think, and now I've already forgotten who it was um, who brought up the uh, the Gandalf and the Moth thing uh, on uh, That's right. On Orthon. But even there, you see, like, that's not, those are, those are animals being animals. It's Gandalf being special because he can communicate with them in their own language. Uh, and he can, you know, so he can, like, Gandalf is cool because he can talk to moths, right? Um, but it's not that the moth is, like, especially powerful or cool or, like, super mothly, right? Um, and the eagles are really cool. Like, those are, those are awesome eagles. But again, it's like, because Gandalf was able to get them a message, and he seems to have some kind of rapport with them. Because notice, like, they're they're all about Gandalf, too, when they come in the second time um, at the end of the films. And, uh, take Gandalf to go find Frodo and Sam um, and attack the Nazgul. So, uh, so, so, I, you know, I, we're not, um, we're not shown much that is, you know, extra hmm. beastly, ec- extra animalistic uh, about them. I'm still optimistic. We're going to see talking uh, eagles. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, wait, okay, wait. Um, what about uh, what about Radagast the Brown? You think he'll be talking to animals? Uh, yeah, well, he somehow convinced like apparently a bunch of birds to go under his hat, so he must be able to yeah, talk to them. Yeah, and some giant rabbits to pull his sled. To pull his sled, yeah. So, um, so apparently no, but, he is but, also Santa Claus. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. No, some I, kind of um, bizarre I, Santa Claus. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't, um, I don't know, I don't know. Um, yeah, and you see, Sharon is 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 going with the prediction that Gandalf is going to act as an interpreter, um, that he's going to explain what the wargs are saying. If we have any overheard warg conversation again, it's going to be just Gandalf, which is of course very true to the book. Gandalf is the only one who can understand what the wargs are saying, and that he will therefore all, and he will also serve as interpreter of the 
of the Eagles. Um, and Sharon, I suspect that you're right. At least, let me say it this way, that would be by far the easiest thing for them to do. Um, because I just, yeah, I think it's going to be hard. I, I, I think Sharon, be, maybe we'll see I think you're completely Eagle. wrong. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. believe, I don't believe you at all, Sharon. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, right. Kate Neville wants to know if Radagast the Brown will be whistling "Talk to the Animals." I don't understand <laughs> that reference. I'm guessing it's a song. <laughs> As long as he's not whistling zippity doodah, I'll be happy enough. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, 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 oh, it's a Doctor Doolittle reference. Yes, of course. Oh. Um, uh, yeah. I, I. You know. But, but see, like, uh, they get a pass for that. Like, I'm fine. I am totally like. You know, we know it's the. It's like the one thing that we know about Radagast. Uh, there is a small list of facts that we have in hand about Radagast the Brown, and I just gave one of them, that he's called the Brown for some reason. Um, and I, I know we're told more. He went back and filled in more. You know, you've got the, the essay on the Astari in, in Unfinished Tales and stuff, and I know we're told more about Radagast there. And, you know, like, I know. But, um, you know, within within the primary canon, we're, we, you know, we, there's very little to work with. And, okay, so we get the stuff from Unfinished Tales, but, like, what, are they going to bring that in? Like, are they going to bring up Orame? I don't think so. Um, you know, so what we get is that he is, that birds and beasts are especially his friends. That is one of the, one of the only significant facts that we have about Radagast. And that, of course, that he's honest. Um, so, um, so yeah, so obviously he's going to have a rapport with animals. Like that's that's like the one mandatory thing about Radagast the Brown, um, and so and I've you know as I've said before when we were talking about uh, you know like in the wake of the trailer um, when the trailer came out and even more the CinemaCon stuff when we first heard rumors of the fabulous rabbit sled um, and the birds under his hat. You know, I don't have much of a problem if if I have to sacrifice a character to uh, to to comic relief. I'd way rather it be Radagast and Gimli. I mean, yes. Radagast might be might be a hoot for all I know. I mean, you know, he 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 maybe he is a Joker. Can't rule it out. I got no evidence to the contrary. <laughs> you know, so yes, I'm fine um, with that. I'm fine Radagast with that. the Brown. Let's sacrifice him to comedic relief. Yep. I'm also yep. I'm also fine with throwing a, a Nazgul or two to that. <laughs> For comic relief. Yes. <laughs> okay. I, 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 Brandon, all of the evidence that we have heard suggests that there is. Didn't that, didn't that come up at Comic Con too? Am I remembering that correctly? That there was there was confirmation. <laughs> there was like a second sighting of the rabbit yes. sled uh, at Comic Con. I know that was in the. And of course, Brandon, all I've got to go on here is secondhand accounts. I wasn't at either place. I haven't seen any of that footage. But there has been reported, you know, now corroborated visual, you know, sort of secondhand to me evidence uh, that uh, that Radagast, in fact, will be seen being pulled in some kind of sled yep. by a team of unusually large rabbits. So, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm again, I'm totally in. um like benefit of the doubt mode on that one. Like that sounds to me like on the drawing board, that doesn't sound to me like the greatest of ideas. I mean, if somebody came to me and is like, okay, I've got a concept Radagast being 
you know, riding on a sled pulled by rabbits. What do you think? I would say you're insane. But hey, you know, like it, it maybe it'll be great. I don't know. But um, but as I say, I'm not too bothered about it. Um, and Kate, you ask exactly the crucial question that I've been trying to avoid. Um, so I'll mention it and then carry on avoiding it. Um, Kate's question is, oh, what about Lord. Bjorn's animals? <laughs> uh, and uh, and my answer is, um, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. I I, I, I want to do Bjorn next. So all right, all right. I, I so, think I think. Um, yeah. Jan McCormick also makes a very good point that uh, likely Nazgul number six is the clumsy one. <laughs> so we're going to get like a Nazgul equivalent of dopey? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it, after all, the Nazgul in the uh, the old Ralph Bakshi version of this, uh, they, they all had like weird sort of broken ankles and couldn't really walk right. So maybe <laughs> right. it'll be one of them. Maybe. Yes, not so, to mention like the low speed chase to the ford that happened in the Bakshi yeah. version. Too. So the 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 Bjorn's animals is definitely a fascinating point, Corey, and yes. um I, and I don't think you're going to be wiggle able to wiggle out of this with some kind of, you know, well, they'll come up with a with a with a more beastified version of these animals. No, those animals are going to be carrying trays and plates. Well, you'll see. <laughs> right. um, so we're going to see dogs walking on their hind legs carrying trays. Yeah, definitely. That's what you think. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. 100% chance. Of and, dogs carrying trays while walking on their back legs, and there'll be a and the dwarves will be engaged in a drinking game with uh with uh with some horses. Right, exactly. Yep, yep. Um, yeah. No, I'm all overconfident about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. um, so you uh, you really don't think that we will get to see talking spiders or talking eagles or talking um uh, wolves. Uh, I think I do, well, I mean, you know, basically I agree with Sharon. I do think we will probably get some indications that these wolves are not ordinary wolves. You know, we'll be told, um, and perhaps given some reason to believe it, you know, I mean, that it's like, you know, I'm not sure exactly what kind of unusual wolfly behavior will be shown to us, but, um, uh, but, but basically, we'll, we'll be told that they're that they're that they're you know comparatively intelligent for wolves, and we may well get Gandalf listening in on what they're saying to each other. And, mm-hmm. and now I agree with again. I've also forgotten what about, who said this. Uh, um, but, but but anyway, about about the speeding up of the thing, it, the sequence is gonna I'm sure be faster than it comes across in the. Uh, like the, we're not going to be sitting around being like, oh, okay, let's all twiddle our fingers while we're waiting for the goblins to show up. I expect that to be pretty bang bang. Um, what, what but, about um, uh, what about having the the wolves like barking at each other and then subtitles? <laughs> actually, no. actually, that in some sense that could look even more ridiculous. Yeah, it like, would. They're barking at each other and then it's like, hey, let's go get these guys. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's like, now, let's say some cruel and evil things to each other uh, in our cruel and evil language. Um, yeah, no, I, that I think would be even more comical. I, I just, I really, I don't buy it. Um, I don't buy it at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that would be ridiculous. No, no, not at all. But, so, uh, can I, but, again, but could I see Gandalf, you know, overhearing them and telling them and, and, uh, and like, passing on information either then or later? Yeah. Um, I think that's you know, a like, good one. I, that I can see. 
that I can see. So, um, so the game, yeah. the you that seems rather like that seems like a reasonable way to handle the the wolves. That the wolves will be you'll will hear some kind of barking, growling, howling type noises, and and maybe Bilbo will, say, will ask what they were saying, and Gandalf will translate it for him. But for the scenes with the eagles, like don't the eagles talk to the the dwarves and Bilbo? We yes. over we over we, you know they speak directly to them and. And we're not going to have any Gandalf standing around to translate that. Uh, yep. So, so Yes, we would, hmm. if it happens. Well, let me actually use this as a segue to introduce what our actual prediction question well, was. No, be. wait. Actually, actually, I do no. have a I, – I had one other angle I wanted to, to, to take uh, at this with you, if you don't mind. Okay. If you're not just, okay. like, completely yep. Yep. destroyed. I'm kind yep. of wondering, no talking animals in the Lord of the Rings books – do you think um, was Tolkien and, and 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 especially peculiar is the fact that we don't hear Shelob talk, despite the fact that yep. the Merkwood spiders talk a lot. Do we think that perhaps if Peter Jackson happens to decide that he doesn't want talking animals in his Hobbit film, is he in fact potentially following along a, a trajectory Tolkien himself was on? What, what do you think in his incorporation of the Hobbit into the larger mythic world of Middle Earth? and the more serious um, mythology, do you think Tolkien himself may, might have removed the talking animals? Uh, it, it, he certainly would have changed some of them. I mean, there's no question about that. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, you can see some of the changes that he's making um, in his whole approach to the thing. The trolls would have been different, very different. Um, the you know, Had he been writing The Hobbit... Um, after, you know, I remember he started doing this. He rewrote the first several chapters of The Hobbit in the style of The Lord of the Rings. He was going to set out to rewrite it and, and, and release, like, an updated version, basically, like the grown-up version of The Hobbit. Um, and uh, basically he stopped doing that, like, because everybody hated the idea and, uh, and, and nobody liked it. Um, but, and again, I think they were right, but... Um, but uh, but anyway, yeah. If that had happened, absolutely. And the spiders, like that's that's, it, it's simply a problem. It's I mean, it's, I wouldn't call it exactly a consistency error, but there's no explanation for it. I mean, it's and Shelob has actually all kinds of more reason to talk. Now, she doesn't actually speak to them. I I, I could totally buy the first of all. I'm not even. I would I I I wouldn't even go on record as saying like I feel confident that Shelob can't talk. Like she, I, she, she's Ungoliant's daughter for crying out loud. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I would totally suspect Shelob of being perfectly capable of speech, and the fact that she doesn't speak doesn't, to me, prove that she can't. Because uh, I mean, like, what does she have to say? Like, she's not, she's not the like I shall like taunt you and engage in long dialogues before I sting you kind of, kind of, kind of, you know, villain. So like, fine. So, so she doesn't get a villain's monologue. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, so I do think that um, that that's that that, that that's but but the spiders in Merkwood, they have no excuse. They have no excuse to, to, to be speaking in the common tongue, um, and uh, so yeah, that I think would be different. So but no, I, I do think because you're right. We can see that even within the Lord of the Rings. Remember, we have the, the the moment you know the famous thinking fox in chapter three of the Fellowship of the Ring, which bothers a lot of people. Um, you know, at the beginning of writing <laughs> the, the Lord Fox. of the Rings, 
you know, that when the fox happens by their campsite and sees Frodo and Sam and Pippin uh, and wonders what on earth brings, you know, and, and we get that internal monologue of the fox, right? Thinking yep. to himself, hmm, hobbits, three of them. Um, that's, that's not very, cons- this is what bothers people about, you know, there are many uh, Tolkien uh, fans and scholars. Michael Drought hates the thinking fox. Um, not me. Uh, <laughs> He anyway, so like he, it, it, basically, it's not consistent with the rest of the book. This is a shift we can see tonal shifts happening from chapter one of the Fellowship of the Ring uh, through the. I mean, starting in chapter two and moving up from there, um, we're just not in that place anymore. Um, the kind of the kind of the ways that we were talking before about the way that Tolkien works comedy in uh, to these moments doesn't happen in the same way at all in the Lord of the Rings that it does in the Hobbit. It's, it's just, it's a very different tone. Um, and so, yeah, that, that is, I, I do think it is basically defensible in those terms. And this is why, this is why I wouldn't be offended. This is why I don't consider myself being pessimistic. I don't think of what I'm saying as pessimistic. Um, yeah. If, uh, if if Peter Jackson were to go that route, it wouldn't surprise me. And uh, the Eagles, can I talk about the Eagles now? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can move okay, on. Okay, I, okay. I actually, no, wait, wait, wait. One last point. No, okay. One, you're still one, la- okay. one last point. Fine. One last point. Fine, fine. Um, yep. uh, Ed Powell brings up an excellent point, several excellent points, in fact. That As he uh, is wont to do. Yes, indeed. Um, that We actually have a lot of talking animals in the Selmarillion. Um Yes. And we have a talking tree, uh, multiple talking trees in uh, the Lord of the Rings. And these characters do not – that talking animals is not identical with humor. Uh, Juan, no. Juan the Hound is not a funny guy. No. He's awesome. No. Yes. True. True. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I certainly wouldn't, you know, for exactly those reasons. I'm not saying that we can simply equate that. I M's, I would say that within the Hobbit, that is one of the one of the sort of effects of it. Certainly, again, there's 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 very little excuse even for the overheard conversation among the spiders at all. And here I am continually talking about the spiders again. Um, but anyway, there, there, there's no excuse for it other than like, comic relief is almost the only consequence of it. Um, it does it has almost no other function. Um, and. Uh, uh, and anyway, no, I agree. It's not that like talking animals equals comedy uh, necessarily, but um, we and 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 I would say by the way, I don't think the eagles are funny in the book. Yeah, um, I don't think that the eagles. There is. It's not that they they never say anything that's funny. I mean, I I kind of in, I, I'm always amused when the Lord of the Eagles um, says, you know we're not going to fly you over where the woodmen live. He says, because they would think we would be after their sheep. And normally they would be right. And I, I, I love that. That cracks me up every time. But, but that's not like, uh, that's it's not that's, goofy uh, humor. No, that's like me appreciating the sense of humor that the Eagle has about this, you know, like he, he, uh, but, um, but no, it's not, they're not comical. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. But I don't. <laughs> Vanner and Green brings up a good point. Maybe Bill will just made up the talking animals. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, unreliable uh, narrator. Unreliable narrator. It's possible. Probably, it's possible. probably was drunk half the time he was writing it. <laughs> well, I, that is a scandalous thing to say. <laughs> okay, so um, so the Eagles, the Eagles. 
the Eagles. Okay, okay. So here, basically, let me kind of contextualize this because it, it does really bear on the question of um, of whether they speak or not. And this is part of my again. I'm going with no still that as far as they're speaking, but. Uh, my explanation for that is largely connected with my prediction about our official prediction question. Here's our official prediction question. What role will the Eagles play in The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey? Now, notice the emphasis here. Film one. We're talking, because I, we're, we're fairly confident that the rescuing from burning trees is going to that, first of all, there will be a rescue from burning trees. Um, that image in the Scroll certainly seems to suggest that, um, you know, that moment where we get like, you know, Martin Freeman as Smokey the Bear um, clinging to the to the to the tree while the flames come up. So, um, so fairly confident that this will happen and that it will be presumably the only intervention by the Eagles uh, during the course of this film. So. But you know, obviously they're going to come in later on, and we're not we're not counting that. But what role will the Eagles play in film one? A, they will save Gandalf et al. from the wargs, wargs and goblins and carry them to their eyries. Uh, in other words, the book answer, as our option A tends to be. Option B, they will save Gandalf et al. and carry them to Bjorn's house. I would also say to the Carrick if they just take them straight to the Carrick, that would count as B. So like basically. The transportation to Bjorn happens right away. They don't go back to their iries. They just get taken from the trees straight to the greater Bjorn neighborhood. Option C, hmm. they will save Gandalf et al. and carry them to Radagast's house. That is thinking about the expanded role that Radagast is going to be playing and knowing that Radagast is famously the friends of uh, birds and beasts and birds are particularly his friends, um, that uh, that. Radagast will be seen to be even possibly behind the rescue of the, uh, that he may even send the Eagles perhaps uh, to rescue them. Um, so, uh, so that's option C. Option D is the Eagles will help them in some way other than carrying them out of danger. Basically D is kind of our catch all answer. You know, all three of the first uh, of the first options assume that they're going to be swept away by Eagles out of burning trees. Cause that seems like the likeliest thing. But maybe that's not exactly how it's going to happen. Maybe the Eagles are going to intervene in some other kind of way. Um, and so we wanted to leave option D as, as open for a radically non-book uh, answer. We have several people who are horrified at uh, the idea of Radagast being involved with this. But admit it. Brandon, Ed, admit it. It's really plausible, isn't it? When you think about it, it's probably why you find this so horrifying. But, uh, um, but, but, but. You know, it it could work. It could work. Uh, you know, because remember, if we're gonna have Radagast, you know, if we're if we're like casting Doctor Who as Radagast in this film, then we have to give him a role, right? I mean, he has to do other something other than show up and act funny when we're invading the tombs of the Nazgul, whatever they are, and whatever reason we're invading them. Um, so you know, that's pretty plausible. So again, to review, a Book answer. B, uh, the Eagles will take them straight to Bjorn without stopping so that we're not going to have, like, sleepover with the Eagles. That's not going to happen, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, no no pajama party up on the mountains with the Eagles um, straight to Bjorn's house. Option C, um, 
Radagast will be directly involved and possibly the Eagles will deliver them to Radagast and then Radagast will get them to Bjorn or whatever. Because um, remember, Bjorn knows Radagast, right? Uh, he, he, he has heard of Radagast and respects him. It is indeed the only reference to Radagast in the Hobbit book is the fact that uh, Bjorn has heard of him. Um, and option D is, again, something else happens. The Eagles will help them in some other in the, some other way than carrying them out of danger. Um, okay, so we have a lot of votes already. I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna pitch in and vote because you see, what I was gonna say, Whoa. huh? Yeah, see, we're getting a lot of voting here. Yeah, we're being um, inundated. inundated. You know, with if votes. people are really excited about voting, what they need to do is they need to go over to the brand new Facebook Riddles in the Dark Predictions page and start registering right. all their votes there. That's right. Yeah, and in fact, we'll, we will create very soon, um, like even before the release of the episode, I think we should create the uh, uh, the choices for for uh, for for this one, so you guys can register your votes officially on the Facebook page. But yeah, if you guys who are uh, who are here haven't uh, haven't uh, liked that yet and gone over there, you totally should. So just go onto Facebook and search for. Riddles in the Dark predictions, uh, and you will find the page where we just have poll questions for all of our uh, for all of our, our our prediction questions so far. So you guys can official. Oh, there we go. Sharon Off says she's wavering between B and C. She'll decide on the Riddles in the Dark page. There you go. That's good, good for you. So okay, Corey? so here's so here's my thing. I the reason I don't think we're going to hear the Eagles talk is I think they're I think I don't think we're going to see them that much. I, 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 my, my, my prediction, and I'm sorry, I know it's saddening in some ways. I don't think we're getting the pajama party. I don't think we're roasting rabbit and sheep uh, up in the Eagles' IREs overnight. I don't think that happens. I, my prediction is B. I think the Eagles are going to take them out of the trees, and they're going to put them down on the Carrick. Um, I, 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 I assume, by the way, that the Carrick is going to happen because it's awesome, like visually awesome. Like it's the kind of awesome piece of landscape that um, they couldn't ever resist doing in the Lord of the Rings films, and I assume they're not going to resist here. Um, so I, basically, th- there's the opportunity for them to make the Carrick look really cool. Um, so I think they're going to have the Carrick. But um, but anyway, yeah, I, I think I think that they're they're, they're we're we're going to get them. We may have when they drop them off, as happens in the book. We do get that exchange between Gandalf and the Lord of the Eagles, right, where they do the the the, the, the ritual um, uh, eagle departure. You know, farewell wherever you fare till your Iris, you know, uh, receive you at your journey's end, and uh, and then Gandalf, who knows the proper thing to say in response to that, to eagles. We make so we may get some kind of we, we may get a conversation between Gandalf and the eagle, and then the dwarves being like, dude, what was that about? And he translates it. Like, like uh, you know, an eagle-ish conversation uh, between them. Um, but basically, my primary reason for thinking we're getting no talking eagles is that I don't think they're going to spend long enough time on screen for so us you, to be don't, hanging out you with don't them in the conversation. Do you think they'll carry the dwarves away, but... Oh, um, yeah, oh, you're saying yes. Yeah. Of course you are. You're yeah. saying they'll carry them to Bjorn's house, but, but they, won't be, to, or they won't be like character. hanging out at Bjorn's house. Nope. So, uh, yeah. so yeah. Yeah, Yana claims to remember or thinks he remembers seeing uh, seeing an eagle-like location in the trailer. I, I don't. I can't confirm that. I don't. No, remember. that's that's in the in the um, or production. Um, and maybe. Kate is remembering that too. That's in the scroll. 
right? That we can see the eagles hovering. When we get the scene with Gandalf and the bear, mm-hmm. um, um, yeah, there's there are eagles. Well, we've above we've already them. we've already can we've already agreed the scroll is an artistic creation. Right. Um, exactly. Exactly. By, yeah, that's why artists, I don't necessarily think it. Artists who couldn't even be bothered to to get little details like the uh, the contents of Bilbo's dinner table right, so we're not going to take yeah. anything they well, did seriously. Know. Yeah, yeah, but but anyway, yeah, no. So I I think um, um, I I I I think uh, yeah, but but so okay, uh, Jesse <laughs> Jesse said Jesse says it very well. Um, he says the. Uh, the established movie eagles are basically a divine shuttle service, and I think they'll remain a shuttle service, not hosts or hotel managers. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I just, <laughs> I don't see, especially since basically it would be hard. The, 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 the night that Bilbo and the dwarves spend um, in the Iries of the Eagles is like their first moment of respite since they've left Elrond's house. You know, they, they, they leave Rivendell and they go up in the mountains and they're having a hard time in the mountains. There are stone giants. There's that huge storm that kicks up. And then they go and they camp in that cave, which is peaceful for a very brief time until they're kidnapped by the goblins. And then you get this, like, you know, nonstop danger sequence until they have a brief breather when they're all gathered again outside the Misty Mountains but it's only a very brief breather because they've got to take off again because they know the goblins are going to be pursuing them. So now they're running, 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 and they're being caught up by the by the wargs, and then they're being set on fire. So when they they're finally like rest and eat for the first time in a very, very long time when they get up there. But then they immediately go from there to Bjorn's house where they eat even more and rest even longer. And that kind of a duplication is some. That's what I primarily. That's the reason I primarily don't see it happening in the film. Because I think they're going to want Bjorn's house to be the okay. Now we're finally safe. That particular long action sequence is finally over. Um, to have two separate kinds of sighs of relief is going to be harder. Now in the book, it's not just duplication at all. Of course, it has a very different function. Mm-hmm. The um, and it has a lot to do with sort of what's going on in Bilbo's character, his discomfort in the Eagle's Eyrie. Like, on the one hand, we're safe, and this is nice, but how alien this is, you know, that... Remember that the, the title of the chapter, that is the title of Chapter 7 in The Hobbit, um, which is when... Starts with Bilbo waking up in the morning in the Eagle's Eyrie and ends with them, you know, and goes through their trip to Bjorn's house... Um, the title of that is Queer Lodgings, right? So it's and it, it it emphasizes how you have the two the two different places that they stay, the Eagles Eyrie and Bjorn's house, which are both strange and and bizarre in different ways. Um so that's you know, that works and that's very interesting, but it's um it's not uh it's not I, but but I just I, I don't see that kind of thing sort of working well enough to uh, um, to uh, to have that kind of duplicated in the it, film. So that's why I don't really expect that. Works about as well as apparently Ed Powell's iPhone spell check is. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what you were trying to say there, Ed. Apparently, apparently the Eagles do more than U.S. Air. 
<laughs> and I like what it did to Deus Ex Machina. Yeah. Uh, his, his spell check changed that to Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> 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 Which is pretty good, uh, but yes, certainly, certainly the Eagles are plenty of dues X machine. All right, uh, yeah. So, yeah. so uh, I'm gonna make my prediction now. Okay, I'm going with C. You're going with C. You're going with the Radagast answer. You're darn right. Oh, see, I was, I was tempted. I was I like, tempted. I like I was, that. I, I was I'm, bold, I'm but not quite bold enough. I'm yeah. intrigued by that that um um I'm intrigued by that notion of uh of maybe Radagast being directly involved sending the eagles to rescue them. Yeah. So I'm yeah. I'm going out on a limb. I'm going to go with it. Okay, but now Mr. we're going to see talking animals. How do you fit that in because you know, if the eagles are actually sent by Radagast, then they're knocked down a peg further. Now they're not even independent agents. Now they're just they're just oh no no! Like... He, he didn't send them. He he told them what was. Uh, he he was in communication with them. Yeah, it's a, it's a, okay. it's an act of collaboration. Uh, okay, I see. Yeah, so yeah, we have yeah, a, some yeah. more, more of a working partnership between Radagast and the. That's and right. The in fact, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to end up seeing one of the eagles telling Radagast the Brown that he owes them one. Right. Right. Okay. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> the, and, okay. And, and and he's going to pay them by by handing over one of his giant rabbits. Oh, that is wrong. That's wrong. I mean, first of all, how is he ever going to have his sled pulled after that? But, um, but yeah, uh, man, I agree, Jan. This is an unusually bold prediction for Dave. He's been going fairly safe recently. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, uh, well, the only other possibility I could think of is that apparently the eagles won't even be involved, and it will be a, f- a flight of cold drakes from the Grey Mountains. <laughs> Because, because apparently, yeah. apparently the the company that's producing the the miniature figurines for like some table set thing, ta- you know, tabletop game, are producing a Bofer on Cold Drake figurine. I you, don't you, even know. You got Trish's email, process. right? <laughs> I did, and I still have just been um, <laughs> like, I uh, I I feel. I feel like um, I don't know. I feel like I, I feel like my iPad trying to run Netflix on a really really bad Wi-Fi connection, yeah. buffering and buffering and buffering, and not able to process that. I just I, I don't even. Um, How about yeah, if, Chief Aravir and Dunedain Rangers? I I think we need to. It's some. I, I think. I think we should add as a grain of salt that this list of figurines, I, I think, I don't think we're supposed to read this and assume that everything that's on here will be in the films. No. I think these are, yeah. these are obviously characters for a, for a, a board game where you kind of have to in, innovate. Um, yeah. But yeah, sure. But it's still no. It, if if we see any dwarf, much less was it Bifer? It was Bofer for crying out loud. Bofer. Oh, I see. Oh, well, that's much more plausible. But, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, if we if we see any dwarf riding on a dragon, um, I I like that's. I, I mean, like surreal is the word that comes to mind with that. Like, I don't even I don't I wouldn't even know how to do. But anyway, so I'm going I'm going to plead the excuse of <laughs> Ed says boycott time. Yeah, I mean I'm 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 gonna plead the excuse of uh 
that's obviously not a first film issue and just uh, and avoid it. Therefore, <laughs> give myself several months do, more to. I think it would be very entertaining that. to go down this list and just sort of imagine the possibilities. What? Hey, hey, hey! First film stuff. How about? Um. Uh. How about? Uh. Bolg. Let's see. Wait. Where is it? Bolg and Great Goblin Bodyguard. Telling you, I'm telling you. I, I originally predicted. Great goblin bodyguard. I originally predicted that Azog would be the recurring goblin fiend that would be popping up here and there to trouble the dwarves in order to build his character. But I'm. I, I think Bolg would also be a fantastic choice for that role, of the the goblin who seems to be at every 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 scene in which there's danger. Yep, there he is again. <laughs> um. Uh. Uh. <laughs> um, maybe I'm gonna okay. I... Well, we need to come back and do more with the goblins anyway. We haven't even talked about the kidnapping nope. scene, um, or so we, or the or going down, down, down to goblin down town. to goblin town. Yeah, exactly. We've got we've got we, we we've got to do an episode on that. So let's let's we'll, let's we'll not save even this. But go uh, there right now, I do think we, at some point we'll have to just go down this list and imagine the possibility. Um, yeah, um, I, I I have I do have one I want to run by you because I want to check check my Hobbit trivia to see if I remember this correctly. <laughs> okay. One of the figurines listed is Turin the Dragon Slayer. Awesome. Um, and and that is and Trish is. Trish we I was driving Trish around today through L.A. and we were talking about it and she was like, "How the heck is he he involved?" I He's seem there. to recall. That smog has yep. like a dream or a nightmare that exactly. involves. Exactly, there is what I believe to be a reference, not by name, to Turin Turinbar. It is, it is of course, like a reference which literally nobody could get because, uh, I mean, I guess C.S. Lewis could have gotten it um, because he'd read some of Tolkien's other stuff. Um, but uh, but no, I mean it's it's but yes, I I do believe, um, and not and not everybody agrees with me. There are other ways to to read the passage. But yes, that dream that Smaug has, um, Smaug has a dream of of a warrior altogether insignificant in size, but armed with a bitter sword uh, and great courage. Uh, that figure features most uncomfortably in this dream that he has. Um, uh, John Ratliff in the History of the Hobbit uh, believes that you know it suggests the reading that the dream is of Bilbo, um, that he's having like a prophetic dream of or sort of a, a, a strange alternate universe predictive dream of 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 Bilbo because of course in the original drafts um, in the original scheme of the Hobbit the original manuscript notes Tolkien was going to originally make Bilbo kill Smaug. Bard didn't exist as a character. He was a late addition to the story, hmm. and Bilbo was going to be like the dwarves going to be like we don't know how to get rid of the the the, the dragon, and Bilbo was going to go down, and he was going to stab um, Smaug to death, and then be uh, be floated out the door on a river of Smaug's blood. True story. Um, but um, and he was going to be doused in the blood, and thereby. Uh, changed. This was going to have some either physiological or, it, it, at the very least, psychological impact on him, which of course is consistent with Norse mythology. This is what happens uh, to Sigurd when he is, is bathed in the blood um, of uh, of Fafnir, the dragon. So um, anyway, that was that was like the original um, 
that was the original uh, scheme, and then he dropped it. But so, so Ratliff's argument is that when Smaug has the vision of the warrior altogether insignificant in size, but armed with a bitter sword, that that basically this is sort of like Tolkien's nod to the original version of Bilbo. But I don't think so. I think that the fact that he calls him altogether insignificant in size does not, to me, at all prove that um, it is a hobbit that he is envisioning. I think uh, that basically a human warrior, Smaug, would also consider altogether insignificant in size. Um, That is, certainly he would not look at any human warrior, even the greatest among the human warriors, and say, like, oh, dude, that guy might be a match for me. Like, Smaug looks down on all bipeds. So he is going to... So I think that if he saw Turin Turambar, he would also consider him altogether insignificant in size. Um, But yes, of course, this is within Tolkien's works, within Tolkien's body of work. Smaug is very conspicuous. Smaug and Glaurung are Tolkien's two dragons. Like, yes, we get Ankalagon the Black, but we don't get him. That is, he's never depicted. Glaurung and Smaug are the only two real dragons that we get stories about. Mm -hmm. Um, And and Turin Turambar killed... Uh, so like, basically, within the like world of lore that Smaug has in his own, you know, like racial memory or like whatever legends dragons tell amongst themselves, there will be the story of Turin Turambar who mm-hmm. killed the prototype dragon who killed Dragon 1.0, Glaurung the Golden, um, by stabbing him with his bitter sword. And if, if there is a sword in the history of fiction that could be called a bitter sword, it would be Turin's. Um, it's, so, too, it's too... It's too... Um... Yeah, the reference is too good. Uh, I'm, I'm. So I, 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 I totally think so. If this game has um, Turin Turambar, like, is actually reading Turin Turambar into that, I will be like all kinds of incredibly impressed. Which then makes me puzzled all the more about Bofer and Goldbergs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I find those two things utterly irreconcilable. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, not that I think that we're going to get a Turin Turinbar cameo. Oh, that's uh, an interesting in, question. Ed Powell, how did they get the rights to Turin? <laughs> you know, um, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe we should stop talking about this. No, I, I have no idea. Yeah, no idea. Maybe, maybe that's why he's called Turin the Dragon Slayer and not Turin Turinbar. Yeah, they exactly. don't actually own the rights to the name Turin. Just, <laughs> just. But if it was Turin Turinbar, uh, then maybe maybe it'd be a little little more obvious. Ah, well, see, uh, Turin's name is mentioned in the Lord of the Rings. So, yes. uh, oh so, yeah, you know, you're right. <laughs> Fair use. That's, that's Fair right. use. That's we get we get a couple of references to Turin. Um, not to mention, of course, an explicit another explicit parallel. Turin is actually kind of all over the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, or at least surprisingly. For you know, you you, you wouldn't expect it. I mean, of course, the other major reference to Turin, double reference to Turin, uh, is in uh, in Sam with Shelob. Mm-hmm. Sam stabs up underneath Shelob just like Turin. After his after and the the reference to Turin by name is in that passage that uh, that that no one you know no blade not not though the hand of 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 Baron or of Turin wield it could have stabbed up into Shewab so Turin's hand stabbed Glaurung from underneath and killed him but not even Turin with his sword could have punctured Shewab 
as badly as Sam did because of because it was Shelob's own malice that bore her down upon his way. But then there's also the fact that he then he Sam immediately after being put in the same position of Turin and implicitly compared to Turin, then afterwards contemplates suicide by throwing himself off a cliff. Um, so like again, like Turin and Neonor are all over that scene. Yep. Um, but uh, but yeah, absolutely no way, man. No lawyers could come after them because Turin is there. Um, and of course, and the, the other reference to Turin, by the way, counterintuitively, is by Elrond at the end of the Council of Elrond when um, oh, when yes. Elrond tells Frodo he's going to join the Elf Friend Hall of Fame, and the three members of the Elf Friend Hall of Fame that he lists that that uh, Frodo is going to join are Baron and Hurin and Turin. Frickin' Tour got screwed over. <laughs> yeah, Tour was a pretty big. I mean, especially since uh, since that was Grandpa. But you know, whatever. Yeah, come on, Elrond, get it together. He's a way better. <laughs> right, guy. Gotta give a little love to Grandpa, right? So okay, oh, okay. Well. One last question before before we go uh, uh, <laughs> from from Vanren. If they make a if they make a movie of the children of Hurin, talking sword. That's a hard one, and it's it's it's. I mean, this might seem really strange. Like here, I am blithely saying the Eagles. You know, I'm like Eagles. No way, man. The Eagles aren't going to talk. But I'm like, oh, but the sword must talk, right? I mean, clearly you'd put the talking sword on screen. Talking Eagles, forget about it. But talking swords, yeah. But I am actually tempted to say yes. That scene is too iconic. It's not like the. This is not a troll's purse we're talking about. I mean, this is. Uh, I mean, that moment is such a signature moment in the Turin story. Um. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. Um. To have some kind of voice, like what I could see is Turin holding his sword and monologuing, right? And then just, like, to have a voice, like a whisper, which you are left to, like, wonder, like, who's talking to him? Like, is this just, like, an internal dialogue? You know, is this, is, is like, Turin, who is, like, not altogether, uh, you know, with us at that point? Is he just hearing voices or something? That is one is way to interpret the, uh, the, the actual, right. even the book itself. Exactly. Like, or is this like, you know, the malice of Morgoth egging him on in some way? Mm-hmm. Like, it's. Um, so I think that it could be done with uh, in such a way as not to appear kind of jarring, as frankly that scene often is jarring in yes. the book. I mean, I've I've known many a reader jarred by the fact that Turin's sword talks back to him uh, <laughs> in the final moment. Um, or you could go the other direction and turn it into a Lord Voldemort Horcrux type scene. Uh, you could, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you could. Uh, I don't think you would want to. No, you didn't even want to do it with to. Lord Voldemort. <laughs> no, uh. no. But um, anyway, yeah. All right. Well, okay. That's we have now digressed far enough. But we have um, when we whenever we land on Harry Potter, it's time to end the episode. Yeah, that's pretty much that's we're we're pretty much I mean, at least we can get to Twilight. 
Yeah, the despite Ed's efforts, uh, but uh, no, I totally resisted uh, Ed's trying to goad me into making a comment about about Twilight. So there we have it. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just noticed that. Wow. <laughs> oh yeah, no, so but anyway, we did okay. just make a reference to it. What by saying we weren't going to make a reference yes, to it? They tricked us. Yes. Tricksy Damn little it. listeners. <laughs> Confound it. All right. Fine. So, okay. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I think we're good. Final prediction question. Well, how, you know, what, how will the Eagles be involved? Uh, you guess they will fly them directly to Bjorn. I guess they or, will fly them. Or the to, Carrick. Carrick yep. counts. Yeah, or the Carrick. Yeah. Carrick counts. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm, I surprised everyone and chose that they would fly them directly to Radagast the Brown. And uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, we'll. Uh, I'll be interested to see what everybody else has to say. Um, yeah, I, I, we already know what Mark Fisher's answer will be. <laughs> You're so unrelenting with poor Mark. He has not, in fact, guessed A every time. He, not only is he not only is he not guessed A every time. I don't. I can't. I don't think he. He hasn't guessed A like. Since you started teasing him mercilessly yeah. for doing so. <laughs> he guessed A six times in a row and hasn't guessed it since. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We brow browbeat him about it so much that now he's yeah. now he's forcing himself to guess other things. So Yeah, excellent. I hope you I hope you're proud of yourself. Thank you. So okay. Good. Right. Well, anyway, so thanks again, everybody, for joining us. We actually had uh, – we peaked at about 20 people, I think, 20 people joining us at what is now 1 a.m. Eastern time. Um, uh, so – though I think actually some very early rising Europeans have joined us. It's now 6 a.m. over in Greenwich Mean Time. Uh, so, uh, I bet Father so Roderick is listening. If you're listening, Father Roderick. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so anyway, uh, anyway, so again, thanks, uh, 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 effusive thanks once again for uh, you guys joining us at a, uh, a very inconvenient hour and uh, and on extremely short notice. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Um, yes, Yana started at five. Yana, I saw you show up, and I, I was I couldn't believe it. you joined us. Yeah, like midnight. I, I, I couldn't believe that. So anyway. Yep. Um, so. so thanks everybody for joining us, and I will. I, I should be checking in uh, from the Return of the Ring at some point. Um, but uh, but we, anyway, we, we expect will, you to uh, live tweet the whole event. Live tweet the entire five day conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, um, I probably won't do that, but um, uh, uh, but say, maybe I will hey, try some. Go find um uh uh shoot what's his full name emil the lord of the rings project guy oh yeah he, he he's he's gonna be there at the return of the ring yes cool yeah i'm actually i am really excited about the opportunity to because i think there are a bunch of uh of people that i have gotten to know through my podcast who are based in europe who are going to be there because it's much easier of course to get there from um uh, mm-hmm. You know, places like Denmark and Germany and Sweden uh, than it is to get to anything over here. So um, I, I, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to uh, to getting the chance to connect with um, with people that I don't normally get a chance to do. So anyway, yeah, so, uh, that let's should see. be a lot of fun. Emil Johansson, uh, Johansson, yes. and he says he's going to be uh, he says he's going to be there. Fantastic! Yeah, go Definitely say go say hi to him and tell and uh, and get all of his uh, get all of his uh, predictions. Cause, okay, because he's cool. joining our analysts. Yeah. All right, fantastic. 
All right, excellent. Well, thanks very much. Um, uh, oh, and ask where it is. It is in Loughborough, England. Um, that is precisely where it shall be. Um, so, okay. So thanks very much for joining us, everybody. And uh, we will see you. I'll be back, uh, Lena. So we should be able to uh, to have our next broadcast in about two weeks. So thanks again, everybody, for joining us. Had a great time. And I will say goodnight. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And Godspeed.